You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today, we have a guest speaker. Hey, I mentioned to you last week that we had a guest preacher this week, and this is Ian. I want to introduce him and say a word about Ian. Uh, some of you are applauding because you remember him, perhaps, <laughs> he's been here before. So uh, here's what I want you to know about Ian. Uh, last week, I shared with you guys that uh, this wasn't a new announcement, but it was a reminder uh, that we are um, part of a founding right now, currently participating in the establishing of a denomination called Trinity Fellowship Churches. There's only 10 of us that are starting this venture. And so we decided to take three years together to uh, work on a confession of faith, work on a book of church order, and just relate as elders to see if this thing had life. And uh, that three-year interim time ends this fall, at which point churches will make a commitment to say whether or not this one would be a part of. And it's just really been a great time. Thank you for praying. This last week, we hosted all the elders for a leadership time summit here uh, this week, and it just it couldn't have gone better. It really couldn't have. It was, was wonderful. Uh, Ian stayed over to preach. So Ian is our interim president. So we're in this kind of interim period. And so we elected him, our president, um, to sort of lead uh, in this time. And he has done a great job. Ian and I have known each other for a lot of years. I don't even remember how many, way too many. I mean, it goes way back. But we've served together in a previous uh, life, in a previous denominational context, served together and became really fast friends, great friends. Yeah. And uh, it's a, really a lesson to me that the best way to make friendships is by serving with someone. That's mm. how you make your, your, your closest relationships is when you're in something together, serving the Lord. And that can happen at a local church or, you know, anywhere else. So we were able to do that. And uh, a couple things to tell you about Ian, that he is really a gifted uh, church planting sort of trainer coach. Uh, he led all the church planting uh, in a previous organization and is already working on that for us. So he's from Philadelphia, lived in Philadelphia a lot of years and was part of planting seven churches in, in the Philadelphia area over the years. And now he's about to take his family, his kids are, uh, a couple are grown and uh, one's on the way, uh, they're college age, uh, but he is taking his whole family from Philadelphia, here's a whiplash, to San Jose, California, and he's going to be involved in, yeah, half of you just moved here from California in the last <laughs> six months. So, uh, but he is going to be planting a church uh, or working with some guys and planting hopefully several churches in the San Jose area. So he agreed to stick around and bring God's word to us. All I said about him last week is he's not at low energy. So I told him that, Ian, you have very low standard. If you've got energy, I didn't tell him you're biblically faithful. I didn't tell him you're a good <laughs> preacher. I didn't tell him you're doctrinally sound. I didn't tell him you even love the Lord. I just said you had a lot of energy. So the bar is very low, but he does love the Lord. He is doctrinally faithful. He is a great preacher and leader. And friend, and uh, one thing I just want to say before you preach is, here's a sign of someone you want to be around. Every time I'm around you, I'm more um, inspired to serve the Lord with my life and be on mm -hmm. his mission. And so that's the greatest compliment I could give you. You provoke me, oh, brother. I love, love you, brother. Man. Love you, man. So let's welcome Ian. Bring God's word to us. Good morning, church. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord Jesus, or as we say in Philly, how you doing? Again, I was here three years ago. You didn't remember. You're not supposed to laugh at me when I say, how you doing? You're supposed to say, how you doing? Okay, let's try it again. How you doing? How you doing? I'm doing very well. I mean, our how you doing is your howdy, okay? 
Howdy, how you doing? Okay, you got it now, okay. It is honestly a, a great blessing and privilege to be with you this Lord's Day morning. But it's also been a wonderful privilege and joy to be here all week long with pastors from all over the United States being formed and trained and developed so that they can better serve local churches like yours who are committed to making much of Jesus Christ in their place among their people. And so thank you. You may not have felt it. You may not have been in the building. But because of your generosity as as a local church family, this room was filled with, with leaders from all over the U.S. who are seeking to make much of Jesus through local church ministry. So thank you for your hospitality. Thank you for creating a space for training and encouragement and fellowship among fellow servants of the Lord to take place. So thank you. We are so grateful. Craig, thank you for leading the team and in, in, in being this generous and sharing with us all that God has blessed you with. I would invite you now to take your Bible and go to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to be bringing you a message this morning entitled, A Celebration of Triune Love. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Let us hear the word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That is God's word. May he add his blessing to its reading and preaching by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. You don't have to really be into popular music to be familiar with the love songs. I mean, all you have to do is go to a few weddings and you've heard the opining of Lionel Richie and Diana Ross singing, My Endless Love. But I've noticed that over the years there's been a significant shift in the lyrical content of these so-called love songs. And in particular, the, the thing that's changed the most in these love songs is the writer's expectation of how long that love will truly last. We've gone from my endless love to Taylor Swift singing, we ain't never, ever getting back together. 
I mean, even when I was back in junior high, I mean, we were singing along with new kids on the block, I'll be loving you forever. But things have changed. And culture has changed. And I would say that the, the current cultural climate especially that's revealed in the music that the, the world is singing and listening to, uh, communicates a cynicism, a skepticism about the enduring nature of love. And whether you're into popular music or not, I believe all of us are shaped by this cultural climate. And maybe we have begun to develop a cynicism, a skepticism, about the enduring nature of love. And it seeps down in many ways, not just romantic relationships. It, it involves the way that we view friendships. Will my friends who say they love me now always love me? Will the Christian brothers and sisters who've told me that they have my back, will they always have my back? Will the people who are for me and with me and a part of my life at this present moment, will it always be that way? And sadly, the most tragic expression of this cynicism and skepticism that creeps down into our lives is a cynicism and skepticism about God's love. I know he said through the prophet Jeremiah that he loves me with a, an everlasting love. But seriously, I mean, sometimes I have a hard time dealing with myself. Will God really love me forever? It was the Puritan John Owen who noted, the greatest sorrow and greatest burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to him is not to believe that he loves you. Church, do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe that you are deeply Loved by God now and forever. In Ephesians 1, 3-14, Paul is celebrating the endless love of our triune God. In fact, many scholars believe that verses 3-14 through 14 form the lyrics to a hymn that has as its central theme the enduring nature and implications of the triune love of God. It's not sappy, it's not sentimental, it's, it's not shallow like the songs on the top 40 list, but this song, oh man, it is serious, it is passionate, it is theologically rich, and it calls us to celebrate the never-ending, never-exhausted, endless love of the triune God. A love that never fails, never gives up never runs out on you. I mean, this song is an outburst of praise from the heart of one who's simply amazed in the presence of a loving God. And so here's the big idea we want to explore this morning as we consider this hymn of triune praise, and it's this. If you walk away with anything, walk away with this. That although we are more undeserving than we care to admit, we are more loved than we dare to imagine. Even though we are more undeserving than we care to admit, oh church, we are more loved than we dare to imagine. 
And I am convinced, church, that when we live each day in the awareness of this love, we will grow in our assurance of faith. We will be moved to worshipful awe and wonder. And we will be compelled to love him back in a life of celebration and mission because of this great love. So church, to move us in this amiable direction, let's consider four characteristics of God's love from this hymn of triune praise. And to give you a map of where we're going, it's my custom to give all my points up front so you know where we're going. And here's what we're going to look at. We're going to consider how God's love is first triune in its expression, second abundant in its experience, third undeserved in its extension, and finally doxological in its and, oh boy, we are so loved by God. First, God's love is triune in its expression. Notice in this song how Paul wants us to move from a, a, a one-dimensional view of God's love to a multi-dimensional view of God's love. He wants us to move from simply saying, I am loved by God, to saying, I am loved by God the Father. I am loved by God the Son. I am loved by God the Holy Spirit. I am loved by the Trinity. And so it's obvious here, if you were tracking with the, with the proper nouns and pronouns in these verses, that Paul is going out of his way to express God's love in Trinitarian fashion. Verses 3 through 14 carefully direct our attention to the one true God who exists in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And, and what Paul is celebrating and what Paul wants us to join him in celebrating is not just God's love in general, but God's love for us in its full and triune expression. And so united in love to love us, Paul is saying we are loved by the Father, we are loved by the Son, and we are loved by the Holy Spirit. Church, you are loved by the Trinity. Now, the word Trinity is not one that you'll find in the Bible, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to come to that conclusion. But the reason why we believe in the doctrine of the Trinity is because the Bible is clear from cover to cover. There are two groupings of texts. Texts that inform us that there is only one God, and texts that inform us that the one true God exists in three distinct persons. Texts like Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7 that say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. The Bible is clear. There is only one God. We believe in monotheism. There is but one true God. We're in Texas. You can say amen. There's one God. Okay, good. Just checking. We're in Texas. You can say Amen. And howdy if you want to. Howdy, amen. Okay? There's one true God. However, there are also clear scriptures that indicate that there are three distinct persons who are the one true God. Texts like Matthew chapter 3, the baptism of Jesus. There's a voice from heaven. It's the Father who says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then as Jesus comes out of the waters of baptism, the Holy Spirit descends upon him in the form of the dove. And he is then empowered and sent out to accomplish the Father's mission. And from there he lives the life we cannot live, being our, being our righteousness. He performs miracles, giving foretaste of the future kingdom in the present. 
He teaches the good news that he's the fulfillment of all Old Testament scriptures. And he tells people on the outside of the synagogue that you don't need to be religious to get into the kingdom of God because it's the kingdom of grace. And then after doing that for three and a half years, Jesus gives himself to die on the cross in our place for our sins. Three days later, he rises from the dead and then he gathers his disciples. And he says in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The Bible is clear. There is one God who exists in three distinct persons, God the Father God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite benedictions in the New Testament is in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, where it says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God implied the Father and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you. There is one God who exists in three distinct persons. We worship and serve the Trinity. So here in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, Paul is all over the place directing our attention to the activity of the triune God. But here in verse 3, we have a summary statement that directs our attention to all three persons in one place. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Well, the reference to the Father is obvious in verse 3. The reference to the Son in verse 3 is also obvious. But the reference to the Holy Spirit in verse 3 isn't as obvious. It's found in the phrase spiritual blessing. It can either mean spiritual as opposed to material, or it can mean that which comes from the Spirit. And most scholars, New Testament scholars, um, most conservative evangelical theologians would agree that the word spiritual here in this context is speaking of that which comes by the Spirit. Australian theologian Peter O'Brien notes here the adjective spiritual means pertaining to or belonging to the Holy Spirit. So again, what makes this most probable in its interpretation is the direct references to the Holy Spirit in verses 13 and 14. But my point is this, right here in one verse, at the beginning of this hymn of praise, Paul is saying we are blessed and loved by the Father. We are blessed and loved by the Son. We are blessed and loved by the Holy Spirit. We are loved and blessed by the Trinity. So what's the point? Here's the point. You are loved by the triune God. So what this, is, what this has in view for us in verse 3 is it's informing us that the blessings of the triune God always come to us in this way. From the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Father is the origin of the blessing. Jesus provides the substance of the blessing. And the Holy Spirit is the means by which we receive the blessing. What's this mean? There's lots of theology here. Gives you a Charlie horse in the brain. But get this, you're loved by the Trinity. Let me illustrate this imperfectly. And what I want to do is give you an illustration about the function of the Trinity, not the nature of the Trinity. In fact, if you're acquainted with church history, anyone who tries to illustrate the nature of the Trinity becomes a heretic. I'm not in the mood to be a heretic today. This is how the Trinity functions. How many of you are familiar with purchasing products on Amazon? Okay, yeah, exactly. I mean, we don't go to stores anymore. It's click, 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 ching, boom, right? How many of you have ever bought a gift for someone off of Amazon? Okay, less, but 
basically a lot of you. So let's just, let's just say for sake of illustration, I am going to get you a gift. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to choose a gift for you from Amazon.com. Let's just say for sake of illustration, it's that book that Craig, Pastor Craig keeps telling you to read that you haven't read yet. I'm going to make it easy. I'm going to get it for you, okay? So I'm going to go to Amazon.com. I'm going to find the book. I'm going to order it. And then it's going to be sent to you. Here's how it works. I choose the gift. Amazon fulfills the substance of the gift. And UPS will deliver the gift to your door. And so when the delivery man gets to your door, knocks on the door, gives you the book that I bought for you, here's the question. Did that gift come to you from me? Did that gift come to you from Amazon? Or did that gift come to you from UPS? The answer is yes. That gift came from me through Amazon by or via UPS. That's Paul's point here. All of God's blessings come to us this way. From the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. Church, you are loved and blessed from the heart of the Father, through the life, death, and resurrection, and ever living above ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all those blessings that come to you from the heart of the Father, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, come to you by, via the means of the Holy Spirit. You are loved by the triune God. So God's love is Trinitarian in its expression. Second, God's love is abundant in its experience. So what does it look like to experience the triune love of God? What does it look like to be loved from the Father, through the Son, and by the Holy Spirit? This hymn gives us multiple categories to revel in, and it's not even exhaustive in nature. But nonetheless, what we find in this hymn is a, a jaw-dropping inventory of the way God loves us and blesses us as the Trinity. Let, let's just consider these and, 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 and dwell in them for a few moments. First, look at this. God's love looks like we are chosen. He, the Father, verse 3 tells us, chose us in him before the foundation of the world. This is the blessing of election. The triune love of God looks like the Father thinking about you before you were created and choosing to love you and to receive you into his family based on the merits of the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. You were chosen before the foundation of the world based on the accomplishments of the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Before there was a single molecule in the created universe, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit thought, planned, chose to love you. Not because of anything you did or would do, not because you earned it or deserved it, because God's heart was united in love to choose and bless you. You are loved by God. You are not only chosen in love. Look at verses 5 and 6. You are adopted in love. In love, he, the Father, predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. The blessing of adoption comes to us from the Father, through the Son, and by the Holy Spirit. So the triune God's love for you looks like the Father lovingly welcoming you into his family. 
And this means as sons and daughters, we have the full rights and privileges of being included in the family of God through our big brother, Jesus Christ. And as Jesus made the way for us to enter into the forever family of God, he's united us to one another as brothers and sisters. And the people around you just aren't strangers and people who just happen to also live in this Frisco, Texas area. These people around you are your adopted brothers and sisters in Christ. You are the family of God. Because of the blessing of adoption, you have God as your father. Jesus is your elder brother. And the Holy Spirit is your crazy uncle. Just kidding. You have the Holy Spirit who assures you that you belong in the family of God and moves your hearts to be able to declare, Abba, Father. What does this mean that you are adopted? It means this, you are loved by the Trinity. There's more. We are redeemed. Look at verse 7. This is what the love of the triune God looks like. In him, that's Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. Love of the Trinity looks like the Father looking down on your life and seeing you as a slave to sin. Seeing you like he saw Israel in bondage in Egypt. Seeing you weighed down and burdened by your bondage to sin and Satan and the system of this world that opposes God. And in love, the Father sent your deliverer from heaven to earth to break your bondage, to pay the debt to set you free. So now you are no longer a slave to sin. You are a servant of the most high God. What's this mean? It means many things, but above it all, it means this. You are loved by God. Oh, you're not only chosen and adopted and redeemed. There's more. You are forgiven. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Very, very illustrative word here, trespasses. It doesn't just say sins. It, it directs our attention to the particular way in which we often sin. The word trespass literally means that God drew a line and says don't cross it. And we basically said, I'll do what I want. And that line that God drew was the law. And the law clearly said, love God completely. There would be no other gods before me. Don't make any idols. Don't love or value or worship or cherish or treasure or delight in anything above me. Do not take my name in vain. Set aside the day to be shaped and formed by your relationship with me and keep it holy. And here's how you treat one another. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't murder. Don't even get angry enough to want to kill somebody. Don't covet. Don't commit adultery. God said don't. And we said I will. Again and again and again. And the price, the, the, the punishment for, for singing and trespassing against an infinite God is infinite punishment. And, and what we deserve for our trespasses is to spend an eternity separated from the presence of God, suffering in judgment for our sins. But Jesus shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And so when Jesus died on that cross in our place as our substitute, he paid the debt completely so that all of our shame is covered, all of our guilt is gone, and all of our sins are forgiven. Past, 
present, future, covered, forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Oh, this means so much, but please understand that it means this. You are loved by God. Chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, but wait, there's more. (laughs) Included. Oh, this is one of the blessings that I love in this text that is often neglected and overlooked. Look at verses 8 through 10. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Oh, church, this is talking about the renewal of all things. The Father has a plan to unite all things in Christ, which means at this present moment, things are broken. Life is fragmented. This world possesses just a a, a faint glimmer of what it was meant to be according to the great and glorious plans and purposes of God. And the Father has a plan. To take the broken pieces of this world and put them back together through Christ. And one day, based upon the merits of his life, death, and resurrection, he will return. And his plan is to make all things new. The curse will be lifted. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more sadness, no more disease, no more heartache, no more pain, no more loneliness, no more darkness, no more anxiety. Everything sad will be untrue. And church, you have been included in that plan. There is coming a day, my friends, when everything hard and difficult and unhappy and sad and hopeless and despairing and distressing and painful will be gone from your life. And it's when Jesus returns and makes all things new. And so you're not just a part of the plan in the end. You're also a part of the plan, included in the plan, in the process. We as the church are a part of the process of being agents of God's glorious future kingdom, being used to serve in love in this broken world through our acts of mercy, through our love, through our pursuit of justice, through our making disciples of the nations. We are a part of God's plan to get us to that glorious end. Oh, this means so many things. But hear this. You are loved by the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit have included you in love to be a part of this plan. There's more. We are converted. Look at verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. You believed in him. This is the blessing of conversion. The blessing of conversion comes to us from the Father, through the Son, and by the Holy Spirit. So here's what the triune love of God looked like for you in the past. At some point in time in your life, maybe it started when you were a young child, God sent someone to you to proclaim the gospel. You heard the good news with your ears. 
As the Father sent Jesus, Jesus sent someone. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a a college classmate. Maybe it was a faithful pastor preaching the good news of Jesus week in and week out from the pulpit. But you kept hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ in your ears. But that wasn't enough. You needed the Holy Spirit of God to make the gospel of Jesus alive to you in your heart. And so you heard the gospel with your ears. You you sensed the reality of the gospel in your heart. And you repented and believed. You changed your mind about God. You changed your mind about sin. You changed your mind about that old rugged cross. And you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And you were converted. Your conversion is a miracle. And it is a miracle of love. One final blessing here. We are not only elected and adopted and, 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 and redeemed and forgiven and included and converted. Finally, we are sealed. In him you also, verse 13, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Oh, you're not only saved, church, you are secure. This is the blessing of perseverance that comes to us from the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. Oh, I've got good news for you. If you have been regenerated and genuinely converted, you will make it home. There are days it doesn't feel like it. There are days you can, you can barely bow your head in prayer. There are days that you can barely crack open your Bible. There are days where you can barely say no to sin, and sometimes you don't. But because you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You will make it. No one can pluck you out of the Father's hand. No one can snatch you from the fold that, that Jesus is the good shepherd over. Because you are sealed by the omnipotent, all-powerful Holy Spirit of God. You will enjoy a glorious inheritance. What's this mean? Oh, you've heard me say it over and over again, church. I've, I've spent the majority of my sermon on this one point, on purpose, to make this point. You are so loved. By God, chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, included, converted, sealed. Oh, you are loved by the Father. You are loved by the Son. You are loved by the Holy Spirit. What wondrous love is this? Oh, my soul. Now, what makes this this love that is abundant in its experience all the more jaw-dropping and spectacular is this third characteristic of God's love. God's love is undeserved in its extension. The love of the triune God is extended here to undeserving sinners like you and me. This is implied all throughout the text. For instance, look at verse 3. God did not choose you because you were holy and blameless. He chose you to become holy and blameless, which means that when God set his love on you, you were guilty and condemned. 
The love of the triune God comes to undeserving, guilty sinners. Unearned. Undeserved. You know what we call this? It's the name of your church. Grace. We who deserve to be rejected are chosen. We who deserve to be disowned are adopted. We who deserve to be condemned are forgiven. We who deserve to be excluded are included. We who deserve to perish are protected. This is amazing grace. Although we are more undeserving than we care to admit, oh church, we are more loved than we dare to imagine. We are loved by the gracious heart of the triune God. Now, one more thing that's worth noting on this point before I go to our final point and close this baby out. The outpouring of this undeserved love and gracious blessing was and is and will always be the triune God's pure delight. Verse 5 literally reads, according to the pleasure of his will. The triune God has chosen to love you according to the pleasure of his will. Now, this is a little late in the sermon for a a, a brain-jarring translation note, but I think it's worthy to get this reality. In verses 5, 9, and 11, the ESV, which I love and we preach from, translates three different Greek words all the same way. Purpose. Now, although they all fit into the same range of meaning in the original language, I think the distinction between the three terms are important. So here in verse 5, we have the Greek word eudokia, and the word eu as a prefix always means pleasure. Pleasant. So when someone gives a eulogy, it's pleasant words about the person that we are describing, that we are mourning and celebrating their life. And this word eudokia means a a choice, dokia, that was made in pleasure, in delight. That's why the New King James and the King James and NIV and the NASB all translate this, the pleasure of his will. So why is this important? Because I think Paul is highlighting this. Even though we do not deserve this never-ending love of the triune God, even though we sin and spurn his love day in and day out, he never stops delighting and loving us. We could say it this way. God loves to love us. It's not a chore. He doesn't simply tolerate us. He delights in us. Now this is almost an awful question to raise on a Sunday morning, but how many of you like (laughs) Chick-fil-A? That was a rhetorical question. I mean, Chick-fil-A is God's great blessing to the fast food industry, amen? You know how it goes. You you go into Chick-fil-A and you order your food and you say thank you and they say, my pleasure. Sometimes it seems a little robotic. Sometimes it seems a little disingenuous. But in reality, they're saying it's my pleasure. They say it after everything. Thank you for the chicken sandwich. My pleasure. Thank you for the sweet tea. My pleasure. You're ugly. My pleasure. I mean, it doesn't matter what you say. And maybe you've been in church long enough. Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus long enough. Maybe you've heard enough sermons. And when you hear those words, God 
loves me. And he delights to love me. You might be tempted to think, ah, he's just saying that. Oh, church, he's not just saying that. He says it, and he is truth, and he is honest, and he's filled with infinite, eternal integrity. And when he says, it's my pleasure, oh, church, it is his pleasure. So when you thank him, hear the words, the, the voice of the triune God speaking over you, my pleasure. Thank you for choosing me, my pleasure. Thank you for redeeming me, my pleasure. Thank you for forgiving me and including me and converting me and sealing me. Hear the triune God say over you, my pleasure. Church, God loves to love you. Finally, God's love is doxological in its end. Look at verse 12, and with this we close, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Why does God love you? Why does he do all this for you now and forever? Ultimately, it is through his expression of unending love for you from the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit that will now and forever ring throughout heaven and earth as a celebration and praise and doxology of God's infinite, matchless glory. God's love for you says this, there's no one like our God. And you have been chosen and adopted and forgiven and redeemed and included and sealed so that your life would be a doxology of praise to the one who loves you with such an amazing, infinite, unending love. Oh, we're always looking for the application in a sermon. What's the application? Praise him for his love. <laughs> praise him for his Love, praise him that you have been made the object of his infinite, unending, never stopping, never ceasing love. This is repeated three times in just these seven verses. To the praise of his glorious grace in verse 6. To the praise of his glory, verse 12. To the praise of his glory, verse 14. O church, be a doxology. Live your life to be a doxology of praise to the one who has loved you. So, this was certainly on the mind of Charles Wesley when he penned the hymn, the words to that, that hymn, And Can It Be? And with this we close. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain for me who him to death pursued? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him, his mind, alive in him. My living head and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love. How can it be? Oh church, although we are more undeserving than we care to admit. We are more loved than we dare to imagine. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for your great love. 
that has been revealed through the giving of your one and only Son, whose life, death, and resurrection and return are our only hope. And we are aware of this, and we believe this, and we feel this, and we sense this because your Holy Spirit has shed this love abroad in our hearts. And so, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for your love. Thank you that all those cynicism and skepticism abounds in our culture. Help us by your grace and for your unending glory to believe that we are loved by you. Oh God, thank you that although we are more undeserving than we care to admit because of our many sins, we are more loved and forever loved by you than we could ever imagine. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.